0: I first arrived in Sydney I hadn't seen mum in about three and a half years and uh, it was really good to see family and friends and you know I had a great time at Helensburg that was a real blessing it was quite a story there but um, I think the day that I arrived and you know got home got settled mum brought out this old VHS tape and she said to me I found this I thought I lost it 30 years ago but I found it I'm like, what is that? And she's like, well, it's your little sister's birthday party when she turned four. And I'm like, Mum, that's 1986. And she's like, yeah, and I think Dad's on it. And I'm like, what? And she's like, yeah, I think Dad's on it. Can you get it transferred onto, like, digital? I'm like, yeah, yeah give it here. I'll work with it. Now, I haven't heard or seen my father, other than in photos... Since 19 or well, January 1988, so you know, you get that tingling feeling like you know, you think you remember the voice or you think the movements and the looks that photos just can't transfer, and so all of a sudden, I'm, I'm jittery. So I call up my, my, my closest mate there, Ed. Ed and I grew up together, we we literally met when we were nine years old. And Ed, a Sicilian family, didn't have the best relationship with his father, so my dad kind of took over and you know parent teacher meetings and stuff like that my dad would go for ed so we were very close to he was very close to my father and i called him up i said i've got this tape and he's like oh cool i know a place we'll get this sorted went down there they took a look at it and they're looking at the vhs tape oh there's a bit of mold here and there but we'll sort this out and we'll get back to you well within a day they got back to us and said hey um there's 27 minutes of footage the rest there's nothing else but hey here's the usb stick go for it so ed and i run over there we pick it up go down to his place stick it in and we started to watch well you know looking at your old house looking at your little sister who's four my other sister was was nine you know and i'm 15 and i was skinny oh my goodness was i skinny <laughs> oh geez I had hair i had hair um and it was just, you know, sitting there, but but Dad's behind the camera. And and, you know, we're we're watching it and ten minutes go by, twelve, fifteen minutes, and Ed, you know, you think I'm like where my The emotions on my sleeve. Ed is Sicilian, so the emotion, the the voice comes before the emotions are even known, right? The Sicilians just speak it, and he was getting really angry. He's like, if he stays behind that camera and doesn't come out, I'm going to get so mad. And he's just voicing everything I'm feeling, really. Um, And we're sitting there going, he's not going to, I think he's just behind the camera. Then all of a sudden, at minute like 16 or 17, one of my uncles yells out in Italian to him, give me the camera. And there all of a sudden... Is my father. Talking, laughing, kisses mum, smacks me on the back of the head, um, all of that. And the two of us, dead silent. Just like, I remember that voice. I remember that look. And it was just an amazing moment. It just kind of built or set the platform for the rest of the two weeks. You know, going back to Helmsburg and preaching and... Boy, I nailed that sermon. I, you know, anyone who knows me knows I don't like it, but oh, you, like, goosebumps. I was feeling them. I'm preaching. I'm like, God, you've taken over. The people I hadn't seen in 17, 18 years. And I, I texted Monica when I'd come in. I was like, it feels like I've just been transported back in time, that I'm back at Helensburg in 2004, 2005. I'm like, it feels just like that. I'm looking at people. They're older, but they all look the same. It's this amazing feeling. <sighs> History, uh, our family heritage, friends, long lost people that have been a part of our lives, it's so important to us. During the uh, first lockdown in in March of 2020, um, I've been dabbling in a bit of the genealogy in our family tree and stuff, but I really went crazy during... That time, I had a little bit more time on my hands, you know, I couldn't go anywhere, so I really got stuck into it. But my mum was giving me a bit of a hard time. She says, You're fixated on being Italian, but you realize it's only one half of you. And I used to kind of push back and say, Well, mum, look at my name. You know, I mean, you know my name's Roberto Petrini, that was more Italian than that. And, and she goes, But you're not, you're only half Italian, you're just fixated on being Italian. And so uh, last year, Monica bought me this DNA kit from from ancestry.com so I did all that and then the results came back in I'm not wholly Italian and my mum said see like 41% of you is Arabic oh really that's your fault (laughs) mum I'm only 38% Italian what is going on Uh, there's one more which is 2% or 1% I can't remember and that's Irish where, where's that come from? Some potato farmer made it to Italy, I don't know. But I mean, if you look at it, 41% from that green region. And, and so mum was like, I told you, I told you, you're just so, you get so fixated on being Italian. And I did. And being fixated on being Italian, I learned the language, I adopted the culture. I mean, I lived there six years too, so it helped. And I completely, people don't realize this, but the people I know in Sydney, the Italian ones, are just friends. All my family in Italy is from my mum's side, except for one who was my uncle who came with my father. Everyone else in Sydney is actually either you know, Greek, um, Syrian, from that background. But no one would know that if they knew me. It's fascinating, this thing that we have, this psychology of what I call fixation. Well, actually, it is a psychological branch, Our first posed by Sigmund Freud. And when he unraveled this idea of how we get fixated on things, he broke it down into three groups. Now, it's Sigmund Freud. Forgive the comments that he uses because he always oversexualizes things. But he broke it into three groups. Uh, Groups: the the psychology of fixation. Oral, anal, and phallic. Oral being uh, biting your nails, you know, chewing gum. Uh, He called that the oral fixation. The anal fixation was just uh, obsessiveness, obsessive compulsive, and the phallic was, um, you know, when you sit a little bit too long in front of the mirror to fix your hair. Now we all know some people like that, right? I bite my nails, I have since the age of, I don't know, whenever I knew I had nails, I guess. My parents tried everything, couldn't help it. Modern psychology has actually kind of expounded this and said actually, a lot of people, when they get fixated, it's because of usually childhood trauma, or sometimes mental health issues that cause people to get fixated. And they use some key words to to describe fixation. Those key words are obsessive, rigidity, and pride. They get kind of stuck. And in doing that, they say the basis, the the foundation of fixation leads to fanaticism. People then become fanatics if fixation is not dealt with. So I was kind of thinking through this, and I thought, well, actually you know, I get a lot of people who ask me, how do Christians, Christians, you know, just on the plane flying, flying over to Sydney, I had the person next to me asking me, oh, you know, they asked me, what do I do? And I tell him, I'm a pastor. And inevitably, they're like, oh, so you're a Christian. Yeah. And, and so the discussion went along these lines. And, he, and, and, the, and the question is, you know, I get Jesus. Like, he's this person. But you Christians don't look like that person. Jesus is here and then you guys go and support these people or these things that seem very far away from who this Jesus is and I was actually on the flight over thinking about this sermon I said well and I was reading this article on fixation I said well that's the problem, I think some of us as Christians we get fixated on certain things and sometimes that fixation becomes fanaticism think about the abortion issue I had a friend of mine just last week in the U.S. We were talking uh, via Zoom. It was good to catch up with him. And he made this comment. He said, for all the wrongs of Donald Trump, if he manages, through his appointment of Supreme Court people that he's put in, changes, you know, the abortion laws, then anything bad he's done is justified. Right? And so I was just stuck there. I said, so a person could do a million right things, but if they're for abortion, they're completely wrong. A person that can do a million wrong things, but against abortion, they're okay. I said, you realise you're playing a platform on just one issue. And you've elevated that issue above everything else. I say you're a bit fixated. Or even the the view on, on, on... On the vaccine or other issues like that, we become quite fixated. And when you are fixated, you tend to forget everything else. As it says, you become rigid, you become obsessive. Paul is confronted with this with the church in Galatia. He's confronted by a bunch of Jews who are just a little bit fixated, fixated on following the law. Now, I want to ask you this question. Who was Jesus' greatest rival or rivals? Was it the Romans? Was it the Greeks? Was it the Pharisees and the teachers of the law? Yeah. (laughs) They were his greatest adversary. They were tripping him up every instance they could try and do. They wanted him dead. Why? Why? he was messing with their fixation. And now that Jesus has risen from the dead and he's got his, his people out in the fields working and spreading the good news, Paul is confronted in Galatia with these people who are fixated on the law. We talked a few weeks ago about identity. We talked a bit about, you know, I identif- identify myself in who, who I am, where I've come from. But sometimes we get really fixated in these things. And this is what's happening. Read this. We're going from Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 to 14. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, as it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is is not based on faith, on the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the Lord by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, curse is everyone who's hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. These are some harsh words. Again, you've got to understand he's talking to Jews. Like today, we, we some, it just kind of flows off us. Though if you read some theologians on this, you can just see the somersaults of them trying to deal with the law and Christ and grace and all of this stuff. But here he's talking to people who their whole lives, they've lived by a code. And not just their lives, their parents, their grandparents, their great... I mean, if you want to look at their family tree, the whole family tree has been living by this law. And now someone's coming to tell them that we don't have to live by that anymore. Can you imagine... This is generational fixation. For some of them, it became fanaticism. Jerusalem was destroyed because they felt they had the right to fight against this, that they could use this to to murder people. The righteous will live by faith. What does that mean? what does this faith thing mean because the law look let's be honest law is easy if you give me the parameters you give me the boundaries then i know what to work with then (laughs) right and if i were a jew i would be like hey dude that's easy do not murder, keep the Sabbath. Look, it's just, it's black and white. But then you could see the Pharisees and they didn't just take the 613 laws. They had to make more rules around it because then they had a lot of questions around it. So they built more and more boundaries. They built more and more walls. They built more and more. Uh, uh. And here Jesus just knocks it out of the park. The righteous won't live by the law. They'll live by faith. He goes further in Romans chapter 10 verse 4. He says, Christ is the telos of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes it. Telos is the Greek word which can translate into one of two words, either end or culmination. Christ is the end. He is the culmination of the law. So there might be righteousness for everyone who believes. Uh, The NLT version says it really well. For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. It's done. Move on. As a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. Uh, Tim Barnett from um, I think that's the next slide. No, uh, the Jews have become fixated on the law, and some, the fixation had turned into fanaticism. Uh, did, do you see some of us today in that boat? Do you see some of us Christians getting maybe fixated a little too much on issues? And for some of us, that might have actually turned into fanaticism. You know, you, uh, while in Sydney, my my parents, they love watching uh, uh, the news. So they've got a whole news channel and the whole uh, uh, thing going on in the States now about storming the Capitol and, you know, the January 6th committee and all that, and just watching people with Jesus flags and verses as they breaking windows to get into and I think, yeah I think that might be fanaticism I think the fixation's gone a little too far there, what might have started as something right and righteous has become a fixation has become fanaticism the word fanaticism is a branch in psychology that deals with that and they give these words to describe it intolerant, self confirming, obsessed. Just think of um, conspiracy theorists. They're intolerant of any other person's idea. They confirm things themselves. They can't be told whether they're right or wrong. They will decide whether they're right or wrong. And they're obsessed. Absolutely obsessed. Uh, I'm reading another article uh, last week about this woman who is obsessed with the fact that the Sandy Hook Primary School where I think 20-odd kids were killed in a she's con- convinced that it's fake that it never happened and she, her whole life has revolved around now This she started a non to prove that these kids never died she's alienated herself from her whole family her kids don't know what to do about it And her hope is that one day people will believe. That's fanaticism. She's met with the parents who lost their kids. They're weeping. And she's like, no, you're using emotion to to, to turn me. That's what fanaticism does. It leads to another branch. (laughs) Well, this is not a psychological branch, but it does lead to something that most fanatics don't realize, that that is hypocrisy. They don't realize that what they're fighting for or what they're standing against actually counters other things in their lives. So when it comes to law and grace, it's hard to live by the law and to live by grace. Paul is making this point. You cannot be fixated on the law. You need to be actually fixated on Jesus. Jesus. Your eyes need to be fixed on him. Because what happens is, well, hypocrisy settles in. And the greatest charge that the world is making towards Christianity today is that word, hypocrisy. The law says, do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of material. Every one of us in this room is most probably wearing clothing woven of two material. The law says, do not cut the hair at the sides of your head or clip off the edges of your beard. Anyone been given a bowl cut lately? It's against the law. So that poor kid that you've just put a bowl over his head and cut around, you've broken the law. We fixate on some things and other things we ignore. We fixate on some things and just forget about the rest. Uh, Don't even go into, ladies, you know, your time of the month, what you've got to go through, the law and what it says. We don't follow any of these. Here's a comment from Tim Barnett from Stand to Reason. He says this, The Old Testament contains the Mosaic law. These were laws given by God through Moses to to the chosen people of Israel. That part is really important. This was part of what we call the Old Covenant. It was like a contract between two parties, God and the Jews. New Testament Christians don't live under the old covenant. They are under a different covenant. When Jesus came, he fulfilled the requirements of the law and established a new covenant through his death and resurrection. Under this covenant, bacon and shellfish, for example, are back on the menu. (laughs) Now, I'm going to unpack a little bit more of this next week because next week, Paul, as he gets into these verses, says some really interesting and poignant thing so I won't go too deep into this but interestingly enough even Tim Barnett he's he's you can read when you read further into his article he gets a little bit um overwhelmed because he's like oh okay and this is what theologians do we can't ignore the whole law because you know do not murder is an important thing so we're going to call that the moral law and so we're still under the moral law and I'm like Tim you're just trying to hold two things in tension let it go. The Holy Spirit convicts us, we know what's right and wrong. We might want to call it the moral law but every country has a different moral law. Whether we want to believe that or not, some things are the same, some things aren't. Jesus Christ through his Holy Spirit leads us, convicts us. Paul throws down some things to warn us about what things are not healthy for us, not good for us. but we've got to be careful when we start quoting Old Testament law to people we've got a problem and this is the challenge that we're faced with because for a lot of us today we need those dictates just like churches need constitutions We need those parameters because it's easier that way. It's harder to live by faith. It's harder to just take that step without knowing, should I go left, should I go right? For some of us, we're paralyzed by that. Paul, in his comments here to the Galatians, and he's tackling the the Galatian Jews, he's saying, look, the law is not based on faith. It's a fascinating thing, I, I was talking to um, at Helensburg after the service, you know, there was actually a group of us pastors there and we were talking and um, I don't know how we got I, I think the question was, what are you preaching when you get back? I'm on this topic here and he's like, oh yes, faith but you need to know that we have a blessed assurance in faith and I said, oh you wish you're just quoting Hebrews aren't you? He goes, well that's what Hebrews says, we're, we're assured in our faith And I'm like, yeah, no, actually. Assurance isn't the fact that we're assured of it. It's how we live. It's how we move. Charles Price uses this great story about what faith is and how that moves in our lives. He talks about three people getting on a plane. And he says, that is faith. Because the moment they get on the plane, they are trusting someone else they don't know who they can't see. They don't know if they're going to take them to their destination or not. They have no idea they're completely out of control that's face all three of them they get on the plane and they have faith now he talks about these three people on the plane one of them being himself he's in the middle seat there's a businessman to his left and there's a young woman to his right the businessman has done this many times before doesn't even blink blink. sits down relaxes reads the newspaper the plane takes off it bounces around everywhere he doesn't care he's quite happy reading his newspaper charles who's on his first flight freaks out he's a bit hesitant doesn't know what to do. The lady next to him, she's got the bath bag. She's throwing up. She can't handle this. Then as the meal comes around, the businessman eats his meal, no problem. Charles, he eats a little bit of it. The lady can't even touch it. They both, all three of them, get to their destination a okay. But the businessman went with blessed assurance. He lived out the assurance of his faith. Now, he didn't know that he was going to get there, but he was secure in the fact that God had this. That's what faith is. That's how faith works. I think that's a great analogy. Faith is getting on that plane. That's the big step. Now, if you could be given a full directive of who was on that plane and who's going to fly it along with the full details of how he was going to map out the flight and whether he was good or not to fly the plane and give you a percentage of how long, how much you, you know, whether you are going to live or die on this flight and you could, yeah, I mean, that's not faith. And that's not blessed assurance. Blessed assurance is how you live your life in faith. We, we don't know. And for some of us, there is doubt. Some of us want to throw up. And that's okay. That's okay. Those three aren't any different. Sure, it would be nice to be the businessman in life and just cruise. (laughs) The flight over from Wellington to to Sydney Um, we were delayed in Wellington and the pilot got on the thing and he said look um, we're just trying to reroute our flight over the Tasman there's quite a lot of bad weather around Um, can you give us a few moments we're going to be another 10 minutes so we can figure out a different way cool cool 10 minutes later gets back on unfortunately there's no other way it's going to be a bad flight people it's going to be bumpy and you haven't even left the terminal and it was, it as you, you won't see anything of Wellington. So we're going to take off straight in the cloud and, and it's going to be bumpy and the Tasman's just not working with us. And, but bear with us, we'll get you there, don't worry. And the whole way. I've never been sick on a plane, but I was getting sick. And as we're coming into Sydney, the clouds cleared and for about 10 minutes, you know, at cruising altitude, it was smooth and it was almost like... Oh, This is beautiful. This is cool. Then the pilot gets on. He goes, okay, for those of you who are from from Wellington, this landing is going to be okay for you. (laughs) For those of you who are not from Wellington, I just want to apologize. It's going to be quite bumpy going in. (laughs) We, as Christians need to hold this life lightly. We need to learn to trust that God has this. But if you are if you're not comfortable with the trust that's okay too. That's okay too. Let us not get fixated on the wrong things. Let us not get fixated on on those things that it seems like the whole world wants us to get fixated. Let's get get ourselves realigned and that's what Paul's trying to tell these Galatians just just get your mind off that for a moment just turn back to Jesus Just set your eyes there because this law thing is just going to drive you crazy it's not where God wants you to be and so that's the initial message because it actually continues on and we'll get deeper into this whole law thing and we must probably deal with other branches of psychology i don't know we'll see but what are you fixated on what's got you so fixated that that actually you may not be able to see the sky around you what are you fixated in in your life right now talk to somebody talk to your partner talk to your friends Hold yourself accountable to those around you. Ask them, am I fixated on this? Am I not? How can I be better at this? Because they tried that with Jesus every time. The woman at the well, calling of Matthew, Zacchaeus, Nicodemus, they all tried to, to, to spin him around and get him trapped. The woman called in adultery. The man with the withered hand, the temple sellers—every one of them. All these instances are just trying to get him pushed away, fixed on something that they were fixated on, but he wasn't. What are you fixated on? I ask our music team to come up. Let's pray, Father God. Um, thank you Jesus that you have given us (laughs) the hope we have thank you Jesus that that you you didn't allow yourself to get tied down by our worldly fixations and you, you, you didn't get caught up in all of that you came to save us You came to die for us and to conquer death and redeem us through your resurrection. Help us, Lord, as we are confronted by a very broken world who our souls are maybe equally broken. Uh, Your church that has taken a bit of a battering lately We've kind of dug our trenches and fixated on, on 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 the targets, rather than you know just turning our eyes to you. Help us, Lord. Challenge us, Father. I pray. As the uh, music team plays, there's always an opportunity for you to come forward if you need prayer. If you just want someone to pray over you, you can do it even in where you're sitting now. But there's our team. They'll be up front. Um, So if you want prayer, don't hesitate to come forward. and Allow us to pray over you. Let us sing.